0: Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're in a series called Once and for All. This series leads us into Easter Sunday and follows the life of Jesus and the significant events that took place in the final days before the crucifixion. We started off this series with a panel discussion featuring Pastor Nicole, along with Pastor Quint Lindblad, as well as Lori Pickens, the Dean of Students and Outreach at Erie First Christian Academy. Last week, they discussed the Last Supper and how Jesus sets the stage for overcoming our sins on the cross. Today, they'll be discussing Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll see how even though Jesus knew he was going to the cross, he still needed to surrender himself to God's will and in doing so, overcome sin and death once and for all. So let's get started today. Here's Pastor Quint.
1: We are walking through in this series the final three days of Christ's life before His crucifixion, and we are going to continue that this morning. Several weeks ago, I was asked to preach one of the messages in the Five Guys series, and uh, I I wasn't complaining, but I wonder if Pastor Nicole thought I was because I just mentioned that I had to recap 20 chapters in like 10 minutes. And so today we're actually going to uh, just look at 10 verses, and I was only given three of them. Okay, so I don't know if that's an overcorrection or what. But uh, let me just read to you. We're going to be in Mark 14, verses 32 to 42 today. I'm just going to read that passage to you, and then I'm going to take the first three verses, and we're going to get this thing going. Uh, let me pray, though, before we do that. Jesus, we just thank you for this space. Uh, we, we thank you for the privileges to gather as your church. And I just pray over this morning that the, the words you would have us to say are what shine through, that people are met where they need met, and that you would do what only you can do in this place this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, so Mark 14, 32 through 42, it says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. "'Abba, Father,' he said, "'everything is possible for you. "'Take this cup from me, "'yet not what I will, but what you will.' "'Then he returned to his disciples "'and found them sleeping.' "'Simon,' he said to Peter, "'are you asleep? "'Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? "'Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. "'The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak.' "'Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. "'When he came back, he again found them sleeping. "'Because their eyes were heavy, "'they did not know what to say to him. "'Returning the third time, he said to them, "'Are you still sleeping and resting? "'Enough, the hour has come. "'Look, the Son of Man is delivered "'into the hands of sinners.' Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. All right, so there is a lot here, but I'm just going to start the conversation this morning, and I actually want to do that with a question. The question is, have you ever felt like you could die from your sorrow? Have you ever felt so overcome by heartache that your next breath felt hard to grasp? I can say that I definitely have. I personally have felt that. And I can think back on some difficult seasons in my life that left me feeling heartbroken. Literally that feeling of like your heart is broken, just really hurt. Uh, One thing I'm grateful for is that I cannot just summon those emotions on demand. Uh, Sometimes when it comes to like joy or happiness or things that warm our heart or make us uh, glad, we can kind of put ourselves in that place and, and get a spark from it and get encouraged from it. And I'm sure, I'm not saying just because I can't do that on demand, other people can't. I, everyone processes emotions differently. But one thing I'm grateful for is that this sorrowful emotion is not something I can just pull. Uh, it is something that is brought on by circumstances. I personally think that that's a testament to what God does for us when we engage him in our healing process. And so I'm not saying I've done that perfectly, but many times when I've gone through those seasons, those are the seasons, right? It's our highs and our lows where it's so easy to, it's so needed to just dig in deeper with Jesus. And because of that, we engage him in that healing process, and he does a work that only he can do. One uh, specific moment in my life that brought this level of pain, I can remember the moment, I thankfully don't can't summon the pain. But one, one of those moments was when my father-in-law passed away uh, unexpectedly. I'm, I've, many of you have heard parts of this story, but uh, it's actually going to be four years in just a couple weeks that he passed away in the night totally unexpectedly. Um, but I, I don't know how many people I've shared this part of the story with. Just two days after that happened, I ended up in the emergency room with a panic attack. I thought for sure I was having a heart attack. I would have been 30 three at the time but I the symptoms the feelings the oh, just the overwhelming all of it and I felt terrible because my wife who had just lost her dad is the one who had to drive me to the ER and I, I can't even imagine what she was going through in that moment but I just I learned in that moment that emotional agony and our physical well-being or presentation of it they are very connected and I was going through such emotional agony from this loss that physically my body was reacting in a way I did not understand so I can definitely relate to that because it was a journey and a process for me to understand what had happened and then to work with Jesus to kind of find my way out of that place in the mourning process
2: Yeah. yeah and I think um as you're describing that, obviously what Jesus is dealing with in the garden, we're not comparing uh, sure. those feelings to, but what we're saying is maybe we even feel a little, <clears throat> a piece of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he understood that overwhelming agony. Um, and, you know, as you share that, Quint, I, I know that a lot of people in this room can relate on some level to losing someone they loved and, um, and dealing with walking through that. Uh, and how that looks and how that did. In fact, um, just recently as a church, we lost a dear member, uh, Betty Beck. And I know many of you loved her and knew her very well for a lot of years. She served here uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Joe and Marie Mead, members of our church, they uh, lost their son Um I can't imagine the heartache of losing a child. And so our hearts are broken for these families. And I I can name many of you um, that I I know and some I'm sure I don't uh, that have dealt with really deep loss. And so um, I think if we could just afford it for a minute, I just want to stop for just a second and take a moment to pray for. Maybe you're here today and as Pastor Quint was sharing, you're like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's where I'm at right now, or I'm still dealing with the pain of the loss of someone I loved. And I just want to pray for those people. So yeah, yeah. Um, so if you could bow your head, everybody across the room, and if that's you, if you just want to raise your hand, we would love to pray for you. It yeah. doesn't matter if the loss was a long time ago or recently. I see hands up mm. all across this room. Yeah. And raise your hand like you're going to receive something. And I'm going to ask Lori to just yeah. pray comfort, blessing. Uh, hope, protection over you as God walks you through this pain. So, Lori, we pray for us.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, Lord. We just uh, we thank you that you will help your sons and daughters on this uh, new journey of grief. Uh, Lord, I thank you that they will find Lord joy, Lord God, and that you will give them the garment of praise, Lord God, as they experience the heaviness in these seasons. Um, we thank you that you are ever-present, uh, and we just thank you that you have taught us how to go through seasons of agony, but to not lose hope in who you are in us. So, uh, God of all comfort, be with us, and uh, God of all peace, uh, just release peace that surpasses all understanding in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I find most stunning about this passage and why I bring up uh, kind of some of this in it is just the humanity of it all. You know, we know and we preach and we teach that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man, but it is on full display here as we read, uh, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. You know, I I think that um, we just see the The level uh the depth of emotion that he has experienced, um, we see in verse thirty three that he what he does in this moment is also something very very human that we would do. He brings his closest friends with him into this moment of heartache and trouble, like I know for me in my hardest seasons it's my support system it's the the people around me. The last thing I want to feel is that feeling of being alone in those moments I, you know that's why. Uh, anytime I've talked about small groups and things like that, we talk about like the people you do life together with because it's your community and your support system that helps get you through. It's that level of support, companionship that helps get us through it. And, and that's what we see Jesus did as well. He brought his closest friends along and he asked them to stay and keep watch as he processes what he knows is about to unfold. He had told it to them, but he knew in ways only someone who is not bound by time and had already seen and experienced it could know. And so the next thing that sticks out in this confession is that that line from verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. As we've already discussed, that's a very real thing. Um, and and at some time or another we've all encountered some level of that in our human experience. Um, and Pastor Nicole's gonna unpack verses 35 and 36 here in a minute. So I don't want to steal any of her material, but I do want to just speak to this thought of uh, deep emotions, even anxiety and depression, as I kind of um, wrap up this part this morning. And I, I just want to share this. I, I have seen posts online, and I'm sure you probably have too, people sharing things and thoughts and opinions about mental health and about our spiritual journey and about what is and isn't related. I've seen people call uh, anxiety and depression and things like that sin, okay? And I've seen it called, uh, it, it, there's a lack of faith, or we need more faith, or however you want to, to parse it out. But let's be really clear this morning. Jesus was without sin, and yet he still dealt with this very deep and true emotion. Okay. And one of the things that Pastor Nicole preached a few months ago was, well, I will say it this way. I believe it devalues our human experience to act like emotions are, are a problem aren't a part of them, okay? Uh, One of the things Pastor Nicole preached a few months ago is that emotions are not sins, okay? They're just part of being human. And I think one thing that is true is following our emotions, submitting to our emotions, not trusting God with the process of processing our emotions, that can become sin, okay? But having emotions in and of itself is not sin. And so I would just say there's a very real element to our humanity that is called emotions, and they play a role in our everyday, ordinary life. But this is why I think it's so important as Christians, and you see Jesus do it here as our example. It's why we need the Holy Spirit to be able to properly process the emotions that we're going through. We need the freedom That Jesus Christ bought for us on the cross to survive and thrive in this world. And just like he did, we need to be tethered to the heart of the Father, okay, to know that he is only good and he is at work in our lives. So when those emotions do come at us, we are not blown side to side by them, but we are finding our true north in him through those.
2: Yeah,
3: that's
2: so good. That is really good. someone posted a picture that was like they had three sons and they were like I wonder what it's like to have three daughters in the house and I commented feelings a lot (laughs) a lot of feelings there's a lot Joel deals with a lot of feelings every day Uh, but we know emotions are something we need to submit to the the spirit of God so Uh, well I want to talk a little bit more about this moment in Jesus life Um, it's happening in a garden Uh, Pastor Quint read that to us in Jerusalem I have a photo here um And in Mark 1, it tells us the name of the garden. Sometimes in the scripture, uh, it just gives us a general location. When it tells us something about the specifics of the location, we know that's important, so we lean into that. The garden was called Gethsemane. And this garden, uh, maybe in your mind, when you think of a garden, you think of tomato plants. Maybe you think of flowers. I don't know what it is you think of. But in this particular garden, it was all olive trees. In fact, Gethsemane means olive press. There was this place where olives from the neighborhood were crushed for their oil. And so there's purpose, there's symbolism, uh, there's a reason that Jesus is in this particular garden at this particular time. Um, I love how deep the Lord is, right? There's so many layers uh, that we don't see or we might not read um, off the top, but even this place matters to what, what's happening in Jesus's life because this place is where the olives were crushed and it is the same place the son of God is about to be crushed okay he's in this place for a reason and I want to read to you uh, Mark 14 35 through 36 it says going a little further he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him Abba, Father," he said, "everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will." And so I, uh, in those couple of verses, I picked a couple of things out I thought were really noteworthy. The first one is this: um, even in Christ's overwhelming sorrow, he knew God still was not very far away. Now, you might say, how do you know that, Pastor Nicole? Well, we know that because he used the name Abba when he prayed. If you remember that, that name Abba, is this affectionate kind of intimate name for the father. Jesus was not saying, "Um, sir, mister, if you have a minute, can you please help me? Let me put my request in three days later. He he went straight to the heart of God. He knew God was right there with him in his suffering. And he said, Abba, father, you're close to me. You have a relationship with me and you're here and I'm suffering and you're very, very close. And I think this is such a good reminder to us that if you're suffering today, if you raised your hand a few moments ago, if you're hurting, if you're in a dark place, God is not very far away. And like we just talked about feelings, they're not good friends, okay? Feelings are not good friends. They don't tell us the truth a lot of times, but here's the truth, God is present, he's available, he's in the heartache, he's in the trouble, and in the hardest moment of Jesus' life, he knew that and he cried out, Abba, Father, I know you're here. We don't know what Jesus felt in that moment. We don't have, we're not privy to that information in the scripture, but even if Jesus felt like God was far away, he knew that he knew that he knew that God would not abandon him, that he was Abba, Father, and so he called him that. Okay, another thing that I think is just so fascinating is that we really watch as Jesus comes to this point of decision. So he goes on to endure the excruciating pain uh, and die on the cross, but it's in the garden That Jesus makes the decision. Do you see that? It's in the garden that Jesus wrestles with the assignment in prayer. Before Jesus ever gets to the cross, he decided in the garden that that's what he was gonna do. In that moment, Jesus' success in the garden made victory at the cross possible. And I thought to myself, the struggle of the cross was won in the garden. That's where it was. Jesus didn't go to the cross and wondered if he could make it or am I going to do this? He had already decided. And and this is such a great highlight for us, um, first of all, of why prayer is so important. And this is why talking with the Father is so imperative before we ever step foot into our assignment. Don't think that you can go somewhere and, and you can cross those lines and do what God called you to do without talking to him first. <laughs> you have to make the decision before you face the day. You have to make the decision before you get to the assignment. You have to make the decision to that you're going to do something well before you get there, because we all know that when you get there, you don't make those decisions very well, right? Yeah, and so yeah. we have to do that. We have to face the day. And so this is such a, uh, I think, an important part to see in this scripture of how to be a Christian is you get in the garden, whatever that looks like for you, face to face with your father and you make a choice and then you go live that choice. But if you skip the garden, you're, you're living in defeat. That's good. Um, did you have more to say about that? Sorry. Lori's One got more time. to say. I want to hear it. <laughs>
3: I was like thinking about how often we like down ourselves when we're wrestling. Right. Like we start to say like, oh, I must lack faith or he must not be with me. But right here, Jesus is showing like, no, the wrestle is real because what you're doing is he's not wrestling for faith. He's wrestling to bring his flesh, like fleshly human side into alignment to the purpose, right? And so I just think that's so rich, so rich. That's yeah, really and good. it's
1: it's not like in this moment we're cherry-picking cherry this event as the one time he had emotions, right? John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. Yeah. We see him flip over tables in the synagogue. So, like, there's multiple examples. This is just what we're drawing from this example of his emotions. That's
2: good. Uh, okay, so um, in the end of Mark 14, 36... So he's wrestling through this decision, he's making the decision in the garden before he gets to the cross, and then we see the decision he makes in uh, Mark 14, 36. It says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet not what I will, but what you will. In this moment in the scripture, I, I think really, truly actually just leaves me a little speechless. I mean, it is it is mind blowing because with these words, Jesus is showing just absolute surrender to God. Totally, an absolute surrender to God. You know, I got to thinking this week there is a significant difference between giving up and surrendering. All right, let me let me talk that through with you. Giving up is saying this: "I'm defeated." Like I can't see the answer, my hands are tied, I'm just gonna let life happen to me, I'll accept the loss. Listen, that's not what Jesus is doing here at all. Jesus isn't giving up. What Jesus knew is that in the kingdom of God, the only way to be free is to surrender. That's what Jesus knew. The only way to be free is to take a posture of surrender. Now, I think for our human minds, our human American minds, um, this is a really complex, kind of perplexing freedom in our minds idea. Because when, when we think of surrender, like what do you think of when you think of surrender?
3: Uh, letting go of something that I want.
2: Yeah, or like waving the white flag, yeah. right? De- um, defeat. 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 When the police are chasing you and you surrender, where do you go, Quint? I mean, you don't know by personal experience, me? but... <laughs> You go to jail, okay? You have no freedom. So I've heard. <laughs> Hypothetical question. Uh, if you lose a battle, you get defeated, you got to give your land over to the winner, right? Surrender, often we think of as defeat. But in the kingdom of God, total surrender brings total freedom. Okay, so giving up is, I can't do this anymore, I'm defeated, I'm, this isn't going to work. You know what surrender is? Surrender is saying... I trust the captain of the ship. I willingly give over my whole life. I willingly, everything in it, because I know the guy who's in control and I know that he loves me and I know he's going to bring it all around for good. And so surrender is saying, I'm going to give control over to the God of the universe. You can have all my days. You can have all my decisions. You can have everything I can't figure out. God, not my will, but yours. You see, that's what surrender is. And so as we're watching this happen to Jesus, total surrender brings complete freedom. Uh, you know, I think we, we have a choice. We have a choice. For, from a human perspective, it really makes no sense. But from heaven's viewpoint, nothing else makes sense. We have a choice. We can live <clears throat> our life as we see fit. We can, we can call the shots. We can be our own boss. We can do as we please. We can live our life on our terms. But in the end, the scripture says... Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So in the end, you will lose your life. Or you commit to your life to Jesus. You deny your own will. You give up your rights. You surrender to his lordship. You follow him faithfully. And at the end of that way, at the end of his way, you will find that the door of heaven will be open to you. And Jesus models this in such a clear way we can't even mix it up guys. There's nothing else to really get from this. Not my will, God, but yours. You know, I always uh, pray, you know, a lot for every message every week. And um, I believe God gave me a word for someone today. Maybe, maybe a few someones. And this is it. You're here today and you felt like giving up. You want to throw in the towel. Things feel hopeless. You're at the end of your rope. The things ahead of you feel hard. The darkness around you feels thick. You're confused. You're frustrated. You're in a bad spot. And Jesus would say to you today, don't give up. Don't give up, but surrender. Give control of your life, your destiny, your outcome to Jesus. Surrender. And in surrendering, there's freedom.
3: That is so good. I love the thought of how surrendering actually brings about freedom. Like, I don't think I've ever looked at it in that way, right? Um, So I'm going to do the close-up of, you know, the whole garden scene before Jesus is arrested, okay? Um, So we're going to come from the last five verses of Mark 14, verse 37 to 42. Um, And it says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing again. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Um, and so there's like this, and I mean, I phrase it like this, but I don't really know. There's like this glorious tension happening in this whole five verses, right? And there's a lot to peel back, but we're going to do it in a very short time, okay? Um, and so In this scene, what is happening, for starters, you have Peter gets hit with his old name, okay? You have Jesus showing up asking three questions. Three times he went away to pray about the same thing, which uh, Pastor Quint talked about the wrestling, right, that goes on in the garden, right, when you're agonizing over something. He discovered that his friends and followers wasn't as, you know, vigilant as he hoped, Uh, He gives insight to the spirit versus the flesh, along with how temptation can creep in. He showed his feelings as the son of man, all while anticipating his betrayer to show up. And so for five verses, there's a lot of things happening. But the one thing about Mark is, like, when he writes his text, he writes with, like, a really high anticipation. So he leaves us with, like, cliffhangers, you know? So it's just like, oh, well, what's going to happen next, right? Like, you're, like, leaning, like, where's where's Jesus at? When is he coming back, right? But that's the way Mark writes. He writes to make us on these high anticipating moments of what is coming. So I just want to break this up for a few minutes. Um, and so here it is, the disciples, the three that Jesus handpicked to come with him, are now sleeping, right? And so Jesus comes and he hits them with a question and he asks, like, hey, like, are you asleep? And couldn't you keep watch for an hour, right? And the thing is, Jesus doesn't ask questions for himself. He doesn't need you to, he doesn't, it's not like he doesn't know, right? Like, let's always stay consistent in the fact that he always knows everything, The gospel always says how Jesus perceived what was in their hearts, right? He knew their thoughts, right? So, like, do we got to stay balanced with that so we don't make Jesus sound like he's just somewhere in la-la land? He's always steady, okay? So, when he poses a question, it's not for him. He's asking the question for you, right? The question is so that you can investigate yourself, right? Like, Simon, Peter, are you asleep? Oh, my God, wait, I think I did fall asleep. (laughs) Because it's not even a natural sleep that he was talking about, which we'll get to, like, later on, right? But he he goes there and poses a question that Jesus, he knew the answer when he went. He knew the answer when he brought them along, right? But then he smacks Peter down with calling him by his old name, right? Now, I'm going to do a really generic, you know, comparison. This is not the same. But, you know, like, imagine when you're, like, graduating, right? Graduating with your masters, and someone comes and snatches the hood off of your like gown that you put all this work into, right? And someone's like, You don't deserve that. They snatch that off, right? Like that's kind of offensive, but that's also very generic compared to a name snatch, right? Peter, you were known for just knowing who Christ was. You were the one to confess that he was the son of God, right? He said, Upon you, this is where I'm gonna build my church. You are solid and steady, Peter. But now I'm snatching that name off of you because you fell asleep, not in the natural, but in the spirit. Right. Peter knew who Jesus was in the spirit, but in the flesh, he didn't stand a chance. So then he referred to him by his fleshly name, which is Simon. Right. And so here we are where Jesus begins to begin to unpack. Like, listen, you were once unwavering and unyielding and unshakable right you you knew who i was to the deep who i who i am to the deepest core and i didn't strip your name to belittle you but i stripped you because i needed you to see like how easily flesh can creep in and make you go to sleep right because temptation it, the goal is not to be like loud and boisterous right it's subtle it's be- like this how eve was in the garden i can eat this apple you was told not to touch the apple. That's a, that's a good voice. I should have had you help me with that. That was good. You're that's are that's a I'm woman of many
2: talents, Lori.
3: Yeah, I should like be an actor. So, <laughs> so either way, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's just the, the trickiness of it. And so when Jesus came back, he's like, you guys are asleep. But really, he said the temptation to not stay alert is what has happened. Right. I think too, that
2: just reminds me of um, what this is saying is that, you know, Peter had the most intimate experience with Jesus, right? Knew him so well, but Peter could never let his guard down. He always had to ask himself, am I awake? Am I awake? Am I awake? And it reminds me, um, and I've only been serving God for, you know, I don't know. I can't do the math that quick, but whatever, 30 years or a little less than 30 years. Some of you have been serving God for more than that. And we can never stop asking like am i awake right now to the holy spirit am i awake to the things god is doing uh because we might not be we, we might we might and, and not even realize it sleeping and not even realize it also i have like major fears of falling asleep in awkward places like i feel like i could do that so I'm, I'm always relating to this like i would be the one to sleep in the garden and i wouldn't even realize it and so i think there's a lot of like good gut check in this passage
3: yeah stay, stay awake good. yes oh, please. <laughs> So um and so I think that when I think that was a good point and a nice segue to talk about like you know Peter and all his greatness because in all the great things of how Peter is known the things he wrestled with the most was pride and arrogance right those were his his flesh his fleshly wrestles and so here it is when Jesus tells them at the table, right, last week I told you guys everybody around you is at the table and this is what it's all about. This week, Jesus has actually taken us to a place where it's only about you, right? And so here it is, Peter, he's like, you, you always struggled with the, with the arrogance and pride? Because when I t- sat at the table and said you will deny me three times, he was like, nope, nope, not, not me. Nope, he didn't. But Jesus does not come with a bad record, right? I'm like, you, you probably should have said, you're right, I probably will. <laughs> because the track record of Jesus on the scene was all facts, right? He's like, I come on the scene. I said I was going to raise the dead. Done. I'm going to heal the sick. Done. There's no track record of Jesus that is crazy. So when Peter denies it, that's because his own fleshly self wouldn't allow himself to see the righteousness and the truth that Jesus was, was bringing out, right? Are you awake, Peter? Actually, right now you're Simon. Cause you're in your flesh, right? And so um, when we keep moving forward, right, in Romans seven eighteen, it says that for nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, right? And so our flesh will make us, if we allow it, it will contend for things that Jesus is not even in. Okay, our flesh will have us saying, making comments, saying things that Jesus is like, uh, I never even told you to say that, right? I, I don't even, that's not in my word. Like, I, that's, that's not where I'm at, right? And, and he's not doing it to, to, again, leave you high and dry. He's just always trying to woo us back into being, leaning into the Holy Spirit more with our life. And so Jesus asks, couldn't you keep a watch for an hour? And in that moment, like Pastor Quinn already talked about, you know, the humanity side, wanting your friends to be there, right? We all want to celebrate with our friends. We want to weep with our friends. We want to journey with our friends. And so I can only imagine how hard it has to be to show up and your friends are knocked out, right? Or maybe they were texting, right? They might be on Facebook this day and they just like, I need you to pray while I'm in the surgery room and you come out and they're all like feet kicked up watching Netflix. And it's like, when did you pray? like your first five minutes you went in. Oh, thanks. Like, you know, like, so our distractions today look way different from the distractions back then. Um, and so in this text, to keep watch in the Greek, it means to watch, to give strict attention to, to be cautious, active, to take heed, least through remission and indolence, some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes one. Right? So in this moment, Jesus is like, I needed you to keep watch while I was in the garden. But to us today, he's saying, I need you to keep watch, give attention to, and be cautious because your old man is always trying to rear up, right? He's like, I'm always trying to wake you up because I need you to know that there is no life in that old life. I need you to wake up, Simon Peter. Are you awake Right? Because from the Last Supper up until this moment, Jesus is reminding us and letting us know we can't do a thing without him. Right? We can't go anywhere without him. We can't make ministry happen without him. And if we are, then again, there goes the wrestle of, of pride and arrogance. Right? The moment we think we can do something without him is the moment all of our natural Simon is on the scene. Right? And so I believe Jesus is showing us in this text that if you don't let me in, right, you will be sleep agreeing with every wind and doctrine right and living a life without jesus is just as des- just as detrimental as denying him right it is like denying him right we all lived that life at one point or another and so he wants to awaken us he wants us to be vigilant he wants us to see he wants us to be cautious because he knows that our flesh is weak right And he knows that if he doesn't go to the cross, if he doesn't snatch the keys from Satan, if he doesn't rise again, then we don't stand a chance. But because Jesus has done all of these things, we now have a chance to wake up.
1: That's right. Amen.
3: We have a chance to wake up. And so the question is today, are you ready to be awakened from your sleep? Are we ready to get up? And at this moment, it doesn't even matter about anyone around you. This is all a you and Jesus moment. So let's all stand together. And so maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I've been been wrestling. As a matter of fact, I've just been sleeping. I haven't even been contending I haven't even been looking and digging into the truth. Lord, as a matter of fact, I thought that your truth was way too much for me. So I chose to live my life the way I wanted to live my life. I wanted to do the things the way I wanted to do things. But even in this moment, Jesus is saying, son and daughter, if you just put your hands up, I'm ready to come on in. I'm ready to wake you up, Simon Peter. Are you ready to wake up? Are you ready to awaken your soul unto Jesus? And so in the building today, this is your time. You can come to this altar if you want. I'm just going to pray over us and we're just going to go into worship. Uh, So Lord, we just thank you. We thank you. We give you honor, Father. We thank you for waking us up, Lord. We thank you that you call us to have our eyes open to be vigilant, Lord. We thank you because you call us to be your sons and your daughters who can hear what the kingdom of the Lord, what the kingdom of heaven wants to do in this earth. So awaken our souls today, Lord God. Awaken us from slumber. Awaken us from heartache. Awaken us from pain. Awaken us from brokenness. Lord, help us to lean confidently in the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Awake my soul and sing, sing his praise. His praise aloud. Awake my soul and sing. sing, His praise aloud. Sing His praise aloud. Come on, let's sing that again. Awake my soul, awake. praise the awake my soul, awake my soul, and sing, sing his praise. Sing his praise aloud. Sing his praise.
0: Thank you for listening to the Erie First podcast. We'd love it if you'd give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.